0: But so once they took a look at, let's say, Building Seven, and they realized that my gosh, Building Seven went down and wasn't even hit by a plane, <laughs> and and the and the media is not even talking about it. How come?
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We will be talking to G. Edward Griffin a little bit later, a world-renowned author, of course his uh, most famous book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, about the Federal Reserve. And we're going to be mostly talking about his upcoming festival here down in Montana that Grambo might run down to, the uh, Red Festival. Expo, I don't know. Expo festival. <laughs> festival. do <Don't> talk. <laughs> You haven't been introduced yet.
2: (laughs) This isn't a rave. It's
1: called the Red Pill
2: Rave. It's an expo.
1: (laughs) Okay, Raven Graham. You would know. Graham's our resident festival festival goer. He knows the difference between a rave and an expo because he's been to a rave recently. Anyway, but first, as always, Graham... 12-step or Dunlop. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You're going to yeah. go there.
1: That's a good one, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's fine.
1: I'm, I don't care. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's apt. Yeah. The other one I'm saving.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> the other one's a listener recommendation. I'm saving it.
2: Okay, good. Save it up. So, what's new? Oh, not much. Not much. Just, you know, we're we're prepping for your vacation and we're recording lots. we got lots of people on the schedule. It's going to be good.
1: Come your vacation wasn't a problem?
2: What do you mean? It was. We we did we did have did to we? do this. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It seems more so this time though. But I think I'm it's because we're two weeks. I think it's because we're I, I do the editing.
1: So low on episodes, you, we could just record and I could edit it still at real time. That's
2: right. yeah, huh. yeah So anyways, two yeah. weeks yeah. off. This you is guys our won't little...
1: even notice, though. We'll make sure that you guys don't even notice we're gone.
2: Exactly. Except the people in the chat room will notice, because you won't have internet, so they'll be missing you in the chat room.
1: Oh, I'll have internet. I just don't tell anyone. i <laughs> <not> have internet. <laughs>
2: you pretend mm-hmm. for work and for, for me that you don't have it. Well, not for you, so I don't mind texting you.
1: I just don't want a million work emails.
2: That's right. So this is our lazy ramblings at the beginning. You can skip right to G Edward. I think there's
1: a a timestamp. Hit
2: next. Hit next, yeah.
1: Unless you're in the Apple Podcast player, I don't know how that works because like nothing really works there. The people and that's where most people are listening. Even Cyrus still listening on the podcast player. He doesn't even see the episode art. Wow. So many people don't even realize that we have great episode, great custom episode art every episode.
2: Thanks to Nap? Napoleon.
1: Napoleon. Lostbreadcomic.com? Lostbread.com. It's in the show notes.
2: It is always in the show notes, I That's think. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, so get a better podcast player than that.
2: Nap did this one and I didn't realize I didn't realize he knew that it was a red bell. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> thought it was a synchro. That's yeah.
1: kind of a synchro with me making fun of the fortune cookie synchro. That yeah. you thought was a synchro, that wasn't a synchro. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So what do you got? We haven't done, what did we do last week? I can't remember. It seemed like we haven't done any feedback in a while, though. Well, we didn't have the long intro because
2: we had a couple of really long episodes. Oh, that's right. We had
1: two fucking three-hour interviews in a row. But I've got lots of- crazy how well they lined up back-to-back. Yeah. Those two tied together nice.
2: Yeah, Randall Carlson and- and, uh,
1: Speaking of Randall, he was just on Rogan, which is pretty epic in itself. That was a good episode. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yep. Graham yeah. Hancock and Randall versus Michael Shermer. I feel like they did well. I'll put a especially link.
1: Especially Randall.
2: I'll put a especially link to that in Randall the show notes too.
1: The scientist with the scientist. Both of them were pretty impressed with him.
2: You no, know, I think Graham did a, a better job at just arguing the skeptics. Well, Graham's more of an arguer for sure, but um, Graham was better with
1: Michael, I felt, and Randall was better with the scientist, with the actual scientist. Yeah. Because Shermer's not a scientist. He's a skeptic.
2: Yeah, you might want to be careful there. I'm not sure if he he might have some credentials on that. Let's find out. Yeah. He might sue me. Yeah, exactly. Can he sue me? So I've got lots of feedback from listeners, lots of chip reports, some synchronicities, feedback. I got a great UFO quote of the week coming up from the CIA.
1: Historian of science.
2: Yeah, of course.
1: I don't see anything here that says scientist.
2: I think you're just seeing patterns, Darren. It's just a pattern. Patternicity. <laughs> <laughs> you might like
1: my book because pattern. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we should big uh, uh, actually we should start with, uh.
2: Yes, yes. Big, big, news, big news in the igloo. We got big a couple news in the igloo. didgeridoos from Garrett, I think, is, uh. But I don't understand the initials oh, at the okay, end of the I note. Hmm? It. Three, it was fun. <laughs> as he rips so the long. studio apart. So, Garrett, from the perpetual chat room that we have going on, which there's a link in the show notes, it's just like a Google chat that's always going. There's people. That's pretty good, Darren. That's pretty good. <laughs> It doesn't work that well. You pick the good one.
1: I'm a musician. Well, that's what it is. <laughs> it could be. But you know how to play trumpet?
2: No, not really. Yeah. No, you yeah. don't know how
1: to. Well, I've, I've never been very good at it. It's like that, but it's super loose. So it's like. Yeah, it, doesn't it doesn't work for me. Well, you just got to practice.
2: Did <laughs> you right. practice for that?
1: Well, for like an hour. Really? But I've been playing tubas. and Really? Yeah, I can play French horns. I've mm. I played a lot of wind instruments in my younger days, right. so I know the lip
2: patterns. Right, okay, yeah. okay. I should bring friends in here to check them out, and they can teach us how to play. There's some self-taught friends that are really good with the didgeridoo. Circular
1: breathing would be the hardest yeah. part. And my lips start to go numb. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So they came with notes. Should I read my note
1: first? And then, are you going to play a little ditty for us?
2: No, I can't do it. I can't. I can't even.
1: That's not bad, though, for anybody. Is it day three?
2: Yeah, yeah, you were good. So here's the note. It says, "Here is painted energy and heat reacting up from the earth into your breath, your life, your very thoughts. What is born when these collide within within you? Life, growth, revolution." Breathe out and plant it all. Plant well.
1: That's nice. That's going to the studio. Mine says, Here are painted four lines connecting, no matter which way you turn it. It is a reminder that boxes are not always square. The whole world is lines connecting, but only the birds fly twice like that. What are the lines that you will stretch out? Which will you connect? Nice. They're amazing looking, too. Like, the paint jobs on them are phenomenal. So, big shout out to Garrett for the Diges. Yep. My kids just love it, too. They right. got to practice, so we could do a little duet. No,
2: I can't. I can't. Honestly, I can I'm, I can tell you right now, I'm not going to be able to play. Like, I've, I've, I just don't have the musical, artistic yep. sort of thing. Mine's a powerful tool, my friend. I don't, and I don't even want to put the effort into trying because it's not, I mean, I might just for that on my own, but I'm never going to play it in front of anybody. <laughs> well, no one can see you. Huh? <laughs> oh. I can't even imagine when when the guy plays it for me, like when I go to, I can't even imagine playing it. Like that's just, it's like not even there. I'm like, I don't even know how I would learn.
1: The vice woman's looking for musicians. We could go do a duet. No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I can play the bowl. The singing bowl is the only thing I can do. Don't even do that very well. Kind of clunky. <laughs> nice.
1: I'm to be the hipster with the didgeridoo I remember I go camping.
2: Oh wait! It's a powerful instrument that's, that's blown right. open my chakras before. I mean, I don't want to stay, tell the story again, but it re- literally, it literally did that in a sound and breath workshop. So I, I'm a full on believer. And then Darren's writing notes down. <laughs> okay, let's move this thing yeah, along. You know this is a big episode
1: is with, for my gram-isms. Yeah, this blown out chakras. <laughs>
2: Bingo, bango, social media jingle Don't forget to rate, comment, and
1: or subscribe to the Cry America
0: newsletter Bingo, social media jingle.
1: So, first review, a dirty, rotten shame, one star from R.A.W. I've listened to this podcast. This is a
2: re- review from iTunes?
1: Yeah. Okay. So right off the bat, he said he's listened to this podcast almost from the start, but he must have missed every other global warming episode we've done. Because this is what, like the fifth? Yeah, probably. Anyway, it's a shame. I mean, anti-global warming a, episode in a it's way. It's like... dirty, rotten shame. Okay. I've listened to this podcast almost from the start because it touches on topics of interest to me. But no more. I not only will not be sending them money and support, I have unsubscribed. I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> this is what happens when people justifiably discard blind faith and authority and replace mainstream infos. This is what happens when people justifiably discard blind faith and authority and mainstream info sources and replace it with an overconfident faith in alternatives. On the one hand, climate change is a lie put out to enrich Al Gore and Bill Nye. Exxon and Big Isle, of course, guilt-free, it seems. It's Al Gore and Bill Nye that are cleaning up. On the other hand, chemtrails are the elite's attempt at weather manipulation to counteract it. I heard a comment to the effect that the elitists who propose that global climate change is caused by human behaviors won't debate, but instead insult and name-call and dismiss those who disagree. Then I listened to more than an hour of insults, dismissals, and name-calling on the part of the host and the guest towards those who disagree with them. By the way, most of that time I was driving around in a major urban area surrounded by thousands of cars spewing carbon dioxide and tons of filth out into the atmosphere by by the minute. In that environment, I heard them suggest we continue burning fossil fuels until the market makes an alternative <laughs> viable, which I don't see an alternative to because it still gets cold here in the winter. So I could start cutting down trees and burning that. Or we could all move south. Uh, then I listened to a rant about how the liberals who run education have dumbed down the masses. Well, good luck to you because now we have a Christian religious fanatic in charge of the department of education that ought to make things get really smart, really fast. That is the alternative guys. Listen to a bunch of guys born in the eighties, which makes me old enough to be their dad. Talk about how much tougher they were as (laughs) children than the kids today is so ironic. It's beyond insane. I've listened for a long time and I was about to give in to the relentless begging for support out of a guilty conscience. But recently, the hosts and guests have been less about searching and more about knowing what's really going on. This latest episode was the last straw. I can't recommend this to anyone. It's just a dirty, rotten shame. What has happened to these guys? Belief is the death of thinking.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: I thought he, he really thought that out.
2: Yeah, I found the, the, the sentence about the global warming pretty confusing, though. I wasn't really too understanding what he what he said there it doesn't make sense
1: i wonder if it's i wonder if i know who it is no it can't be.
2: but you know what i mean we got to be careful of that right like i i don't want to change um as we go along here in that way right like i don't mind changing in general but i don't want to become know-it-all like we do we do want to be asking questions right and not and seeking and not having dogmatic views but having said that you know we've listened we've done podcasts about the education system and yeah, I do think the education system is yeah. fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty
1: clear. Yeah. And, and we've and, done a bunch of podcasts on global warming
2: and yeah, like it's yeah. Big oil plays a little bit of a part maybe in their influence, but maybe a lot, it's, but there's, still... yeah, it's pretty clear that it's a hoax.
1: That's just our opinion, but we're not supposed to be, I don't know. It's hard. I'm not expected to be anyone to be taking anything I say for any sort of Authority on anything,
2: yeah, except the synchronicity, just an opinion, yeah, except your Canadian third party synchronicity rating system. That's right.
1: So, I do, I'll follow that up with one more.
2: So, have, anyways, thanks for the review. Yeah, and I do. And he's not email. gonna
1: hear you, he's not listening, right? He's he just about to donate, he's been listening for. Four years, and he was just about to donate until fucking Randall Carlson bitched about global warming. That is ironic. That is yeah, probably
2: yeah. our most popular, most frequent guest, and the guy who's probably brought us more <laughs> listeners, the most yeah. listeners. Yeah, and we finally got a one star. But yeah, that's going to happen more though now because oh, we yeah. do talk about controversial sh- shit, and it's going to yeah. happen. Like,
1: so here we have Bingo Bango. Where America hits the spot from Cooked Up. <laughs> 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 uh, there's a lot of good stuff in grammarica. You don't have to agree with everything in order to get something out of it. Funny and respectful hosts, they let their guests talk and say what they want without interrupting. If you are looking for information you won't get elsewhere, and tired of hosts telling you what to think, this is the place to be. Much like Frankenstein's billiard room. Oh, there, that was a comma. This is the place to be. Much like Frankenstein's billiard room. Did Frankestans have a I don't remember that one, no, I don't remember no. that one. Uh, don't worry, R.A.W., I'm a new listener and have picked up the donating post-haste. Nice, thanks. Thanks, cooked up.
2: <laughs> raw and cooked up, oh, I get it. What? Well, the other guy's raw and he's cooked up. I don't get it. He was responding to raw, so he made it, his name cooked up. Oh, you think? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a good one. Okay, what do you got? Well, I've I'm got it. I'm sick a, of talking. I've got. Oh, a, I didn't finish up the 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 social media part. part social media part. Okay, here we go. Okay, where are we? We got a ton of feedback on two twenty
2: three. Now, what was two twenty three? The Fenton one, Br- Bruce Fenton.
1: Hmm. So we got, where are we? guys, great show from our buddy, Kevin Stevens.
2: Guys, just looking at him in the chat. That's pretty weird. Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Oh, he's probably just getting up for work.
1: Morning, Kevo. Guys, great show. Heard Bruce Fenton first last week on Earth Ancients. Oh, wow. Cliff is a good host, but his interview seems somewhat scripted. IMO, in my opinion. Then along comes my favorite traveling companions and prove once again that theories and ideas as convoluted as this one deserve the long format, open discussion mm. with open minded and well researched hosts. Get you both in the hangout soon.
2: Hey, thanks.
1: Hashtag UK Posse. And then Yoni. <laughs> Yoni says, "Ha, ah, bald dude talking about convoluted shit. <laughs> uh, Yoni is one of a kind. Uh, Mr. Owl, who we talked about last show. He's like our bird of wisdom that flies around the YouTube's. Like I like to think Oh, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I like yeah, I've seen him mis- in there. Like oh yeah, he's had some Mr. good stuff Owl in eats there. Trolls. Yeah. He's a bird yeah. of prey yeah. that eats trolls. Yeah. Uh, so I already know that I'm scary to many people. I've been institutionalized many times medicated since the age of 11 for add and recently diagnosed with asperger's which is a mild form of autism i scare just about everyone and i don't really know why i adopted a buddhist belief in life around my freshman year of high school about 15 years ago i won't even kill a roach to this day if i do i feel incredible remorse I became a vegetarian about two years ago due to an argument with my ex and stuck with it because I felt it was really the right thing to do. When I speak, people change, especially those I love. I know they think all think I am crazy, and I know they're not ready for this info. However, I know time has become important. <laughs> you only said, you're a bit bananas, which is a good thing. Relax. We don't think you're scary, Mr. Owl. We look at you as a protector of the YouTube chat.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's another way you can can get in contact with us. There's the chat room in the show notes and there's the YouTube comments. There's emails, Instagram, Twitter.
1: Yoni says, with all these homos in the mix, I'm just glad the conversation does not devolve into homo for for a (laughs) friend. To be frank. I get mail from people who ask me if I'm Jesus, and I reply, no, I just got him his first bicycle. Vaccinators will soon feel the burn of a nine-foot stake through the asshole out of mouth. About vaccines, I only get a whoopee cough when I watch movies with Goldberg. (laughs) Uh, Nice. Like a riddle. Yeah. So, that's all I got.
2: Okay, buddy. All right, so sit down, buckle up. I got a long... NDE synchronistic precog experience. Hmm. Play a jingle for that guy. I
1: want a good skull from a synchronicity. If Graham reads it out, then Darren might give it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low. Oh, yeah. So, maybe you can sing while I play the ditch. Sure. Oh, you're all
2: over that. So this is more probably more NDE than synchro. So don't be, you know, in there like just waiting for the synchro. But can you turn your phone over? No. So this is quite long, but it's worth worth the read.
0: Graham is an all-in believer in chemistry. come on,
1: what the now hell? I'll turn my phone over. No, okay. I'm not gonna do it. I'll just turn it over like that. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. Yeah, That's how you were trying to confiscate no,
2: it. No. Okay. it goes. Hey guys, thought I'd pass on my synchronistic NDE precognitive experience, and I hope you think it's worthy of your awesome podcast. If not, just press delete or feel free to edit as you wish due to its length. So about 20 years back, I was in a shitty mood at work, so I got myself mellow and was parked in the van down the beach enjoying the sun and music reflecting on my lot in life. Part of this reflection was how... A really good life would be even better if I didn't need to go to work for a living by, say, winning the lottery, as one does. When a disturbing thought popped into my head. Well, if you had an accident that you could be on disability pension so you didn't have to go to work and you would, you know, what would you rather damage, your arms or legs? And I thought, arms, so at least I could still get around. I instantly cringed at the notion and thought, why the fuck would I contemplate such a thought? A good way to ruin a nice stone. A couple of weeks went by and I tried not to give the thought much credence and that, then whilst sleeping one night I had a very vivid dream in which my partner called out for me in a distressed voice. I ran downstairs to see what was up and my partner was holding our young child and said there was someone in our house and it was then I noticed the apparition of an elderly lady who looked gaunt, pale and drawn. She looked at me in a sad, worried and confused way and for some reason I said to the apparition not to worry and she was going... The right way and that there were loved ones waiting for her and to just keep going the way she was going and everything would be all right. The lady smiled at me as if I had reassured her and comforted her, turned and proceeded to vanish through the closet front door. Oh, no, through the closed front door. I immediately then woke up with a big what the fuck and had trouble getting back to sleep for the rest of the night. Over the next few months, a couple things were playing with my mind and I would often have a sense of dread and apprehension of things to come, but not sure what, how, why, or when. A lady at work, whom a lot of people thought was quirky and a bit odd, and I started chatting over time. And the the conversation quickly centered around the spiritual, which she was very much into and immersed in. During one of our conversations... I told her I was sensing something odd with myself with a sense of dread and foreboding. And it was then she told me that she had been drawn to me and this sense surrounded me and that she was an intuitive and that something big was soon to happen to me, but not to worry as everything was meant to happen for a reason and it would be all right. She then gave me a book to read on the afterlife, which blew me away a bit. I can't remember what it was called and I read it in a day. Not much work done again. So around this time, a friend of mine and I had been discussing on going for a bike ride on our motorbikes. And there were days coming up with a club he was involved with, which he was trying to get me to join. I wasn't really keen on riding with him for some reason and kept putting it off for one reason or another. Then one day he said we were going for a ride to a place called Tumut in a few weeks, and it would be great if I should come along. It was then I remembered my brother telling me years previous of him not going To Pillion with a mate. uh, What does that say? Not going uh, with a mate to Tumit at last minute, who subsequently stacked his bike, broke both arms, and had to spend six weeks back at his parents convalescing with his mom and having to wipe his arse for him. I told my bike riding mate the story and said jokingly that I was not keen on Tumit as I was worried it might happen to me, and I didn't want everyone having to wipe my arse for me. He then said I couldn't keep putting it off and that I should go on the ride the following weekend to the Highlands, and that he would look after me. Which I thought at the time was a weird thing to say, and with a sense of dread and apprehension on me, once again I agreed, saying to myself I couldn't keep putting it off. The ride day came and I had the flu for a few days. I was thinking of cancelling it, but knew my mate wouldn't be impressed, and thought to myself, again, I couldn't keep putting it off. So with a sense of apprehension, I got the duke out and went. It was the end of winter and the roads in the highlands were icy in spots and I was not enjoying the ride at all and kept thinking, just get the ride over with it and he won't hassle me anymore and everything will be all right. After lunch, we rode back to the coast and I felt good about being on the way home, but it was one of the hottest winter afternoons on record and having no panniers, I had nowhere to put all the extra clothes I had on underneath the leathers and I was starting to struggle with the heat and I think the after effects of the flu... I started to feel foggy and kept saying to myself only a half hour to home. When a taxi pulled out on me and I managed to swerve after a slow reaction time, I thought it was close and somehow I had dodged a bullet. I then rode on a bit, feeling drowsy and not at all with it. And no, I was not stoned. And whilst riding, thinking just to get home only a half hour, you can make it. I overtook a jag across unbroken lines, an illegal move that I wouldn't normally do. Went over a couple rises, and that was all I remembered. I had fallen asleep, I think to spare me the agony of the upcoming crash. I remembered the crash in a dream days later in the hospital, and it was not a pleasant memory. Next thing I know, the lady from my dream was there in front of me, smiling, and she seemed different, happy. "'and had some makeup on, hair done, "'was not drawn or gaunt anymore, and was content. "'She then said for me to come with her, "'as it was her turn now to help me. "'We started down what seemed like a corridor "'when I asked where we were going. "'She said not to be worried, as it was my time now, "'and that loved ones were waiting for me. "'It was then I realized where I was going "'and stopped in my tracks.' Then she turned to me again and said, "Not to worry." and I said, "I wasn't worried, if anything, it seemed like it was a beautiful, happy, and serene place wherever I was going and Then I said that I just wasn't ready, and that I didn't want to go, as it wasn't my time yet. She told me that I had to go with her at which time I got annoyed and sternly told her I wasn't going with her. The lady looked at me puzzled and then turned back to others. I felt were at the other end of the corridor waiting for me, but could not see, and said, He won't come." They said to her, he has to come, it's his time. She repeated that I wasn't going to go with her. No, she repeated that I was to go with her, and I swore back at her angrily. I wasn't fucking going anywhere, and they couldn't fucking make me. She admonished me for swearing, but said that she would let me off this time due to the circumstances, but not to swear again, as she didn't like it. She turned once again to the others and said, he won't come. They asked her to ask me why and I said that I had two young sons to raise to be fine young men, and it was nobody else's responsibility except for mine to do so. At that, she smiled at me and said, that's the right answer, and don't worry, everything will be all right. I then instantly woke to find myself lying on the ground with a policeman standing at my feet with his jaw dropped and a look of total disbelief on his face. I looked around somewhat stunned to see I was lying next to the car, With only the back wheel of the bike sticking out of the back of it. With a rush of adrenaline, I tried to get up saying I was going to kill the driver of the car and let me at him. I tried to get up and it took a couple guys to hold me down, one of them being my mate. I was swearing and cursing at everyone to let me up. And I remember the policeman telling me if I didn't shut up and stop struggling, he was going to knock me out again. Weird, hey? Still struggling and cursing, I finally got my left arm free to punch my mate. And when I swung at him, I saw my hand and my wrist doing circles and flip-flopping down and swinging in the breeze. I said, fuck, that doesn't look good. (laughs) And he said, that was nothing. You should see your other arm. It was then that the pain kicked in. I felt the start of the toes and rise through my body and it hit. And I started screaming in agony. Just then an ambulance pulled up. And from there, it was a blur, and I was lapsing in and out of consciousness in the ambulance and at the hospital. At one point, I woke up at the hospital, and my partner was next to me in a a distraught state. And I said to her, Don't worry, my friend, the old lady, said everything would be all right. Then I passed out again. My partner, years later, said to me how that I freaked her out and couldn't understand it that I was lying there smashed up and telling her not to worry, and didn't appear to be worried myself. I later found out that that my mate I was riding with was an ex-paramedic and that he had been resuscitating me for 10 to 15 minutes and that the policeman had said to him on several occasions to let me go as no one could survive such an impact and that he had tried enough but my mate kept going. Apparently I had no pulse or breathing during this time with the policeman later telling me he was sure he was looking at another dead man and couldn't believe I'd survived. He had never seen anything like it before. Little Denino I had hit the stationary car which was going doing a right hand turn at approximately one hundred twenty kilometers an hour. The jag driver saying I passed her like a flash. During the impact my arms straightened the Duke's handlebars and my head smashed the back window and roof of the car, pushing the roof a foot forward on the sills and my helmet had been pushing down that far onto my shoulders. My chin was poking out through the full face helmet and my face not visible. They thought I'd snapped my neck and I struggled to remove the helmet as they tried to resuscitate me. I had smashed both arms, my wrists, my right elbow with no other injuries. Multiple operations, bone grafts, plates and screws, implants and a couple of frames to hold it all together and six weeks in hospital later I was home. And yes, I did have to wipe I did have to get my arse wiped by others. (laughs) It's okay, you can laugh. I do now. I was told by the specialist that I would never be able to use my arms again, and at one point the surgeon contemplated amputating my right arm. I remember telling him that he had better be a fucking fast runner, because I doubted he would be able to catch me. So I remained calm about the situation, teaching myself in the hospital to meditate, listening to music and remembering what the old lady had told me whenever I was down. I amazed the doctors and others with my recovery with the doctors saying that they had never seen anything like it before over time I gained regained the use of my arms with limited pain and incapacity to this day got the disability pension I had wished for there's a There's a lesson in there being careful, and I got to raise my two sons to be fine young men. I often wonder who the old lady was in the dream. one night she came back to me and asked why it was so important. I knew who she was and that all I needed to know was that she was looking after me. I just said it was important to me, and she told me her name was Dot. I figured short for Dorothy. Since the bike episode, I have never worried about what awaits me over the other side when I was finally diagnosed four years ago with stage 4 cancer and was told things were not the best. It ended up only being stage 3, and I sailed through that episode and once again absolutely amazed the doctors who claimed they had never seen anything like my recovery before. I'm still clear, four years on, fingers crossed. Somehow knowing it's not my time, and it won't be for a long time yet. I'm single now, and the boys are fine young men and left home, and I'm on the next part of my journey. Excited and a bit scared and apprehensive about the future at the same time, but feeling safe in the notion I'm being looked after, and that things happen for a reason. I feel that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual experience and that we are able to learn lessons to improve ourselves. I try and give thanks every day for my wonderful life family and friends, especially those on the other side looking after me. And on a side note, I've explained the most to most, including my doctors and a skeptical oncologist, that if I wasn't that if it wasn't for a toke on the good old wacky tobacco now and then I would have never made it through the chemo as it helped me with my meditation, nausea, recovery, and putting things into perspective. My first chemo treatment, which I had to take home and have intravenously for two days every fortnight, I was lying on the floor, shivering and shaking like I had the worst flu ever, ten times over, and every bone in my body ached. A mate came over with a joint for me to try. It had been a while. And after one toke, I immediately started to feel better. After two tokes and five minutes, I was up and feeling a lot better. And 10 minutes after, the chemo symptoms were all but gone, and after 15 minutes, I was emptying the fridge thinking, fuck, am I going to have to go shop and restock? I was told to try not to lose more than 10 kilos during the six months of heavy-duty chemo pumped straight to the heart, and instead, I put on 9 kilos. Thanks for taking the time to read my story, and if there was a synchronicity in there somewhere for Darren to judge, don't forget, I made a donation to the show a while back. Uh- and he says, uh, P.S., hoping to see a yaoi in a UFO one day. Maybe a yaoi flying a UFO would be good. P.P.S., there are other synchronicities attached to this story, but I thought I'd taken up enough of your time as it is. All the best, fellows, and keep up the great work. Love the show. You read slower
1: than your voice stream.
2: Do I? I think you're at about 13.
1: Wow. That was a great story, though.
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: I don't think there was a synchro out there.
2: There, well, might have been, pre- there might
1: have been a few, but... It's
2: more precognitive, I think. Yeah. Like I mentioned being obsessed over losing your arms and thinking all that. And then that happens like, so is he, is he like pricking up on the future or is he, or is he manifesting the future? That's the crazy thing, right? Is it, which yeah. way, you know, is it your thoughts that are manifesting that accident or are you picking up that that accident is going to happen?
1: Yeah. Or is it just a coincidence? Yeah. Best in the wind.
2: Yeah, thanks for the yeah, story. Yeah, that was a great one. I wonder if eventually he'll figure out who Dot is. Like, if it's his, you know, long lost aunt or something, or great aunt, or so his spirit guide, or just like somebody from his past life, maybe from a soul family. Spirit guide. <laughs> spirit guide.
1: Nobody wants to get stuck just following somebody around for their afterlife. Let I mean, get reincarnated or do something besides just trail along behind someone that spirit guide
2: work yeah oh but it could be pretty fun the soul rescue stuff i think they're pretty content up there in limbo purgatory. helping people purgatory yeah no
1: no <laughs> what uh anything else anything a little fucking lighter to end out done?
2: well i mean yeah i got uh well i got that i got that email that i've been meaning to read about why americans listen to our show I thought it Americanos. might be appropriate since this conference, the Red Pill Expo, is coming up in Bozeman, I Montana.
1: Something similar to why I like, I like listening to MU. Do you want me
2: to read it? Sure. It's from Mel.
0: And now another edition of the American goodies by the people, all the people.
2: This is from Melly. Says in, in answer to Darren's request, I'm corresponding to report that I joined that ET Let's Talk after hearing them on your fine podcast. I emailed Costa and Holmes to be added to the map in my home, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and will be joining them on a Bloomington retreat in September. Very cool. Thanks for I letting get us all the know. Emails, so. Do you about yeah. the ET Let's Talk? Yeah, yeah,
1: that's not bad. Yeah, good. It's maintainable that I haven't unsubscribed. Yeah, so it's good. Costa is keeping it at a very Right. Good level. I find if it's more than like once a week has to be like tops.
2: I think I get an Infowars email every day. Yeah. (laughs) Gone. So in response to your musings about your American fan base, I would like to add my own perspective as I found your analysis interestingly enough to ponder long after the podcast was over. I would agree that the proliferation of inexpensive technology here in the States makes it very easy for people to sample and to create a wide variety of information and entertainment. It is an important metaphysical exercise to inquire as to the state of consciousness and manifestation that leads to this situation. The origin and quality of these ideas are also interesting notions to consider. Nevertheless, the situation as it is, is as it is, so let us take the next paralogical leap to the following. Despite the pessimist's view, pessimistic's, the pessimist's view, pessimistic, no pessimist's, that the unwashed, uncouth and Confederate flag clad subculture presents America at large, there has, since the spiritualism craze of the burned out district, an unrelenting drive to seek and to know that is expressed in the American psyche. This drive, while not unique in its qualities, has, in my opinion, an unmatched energy of intensity. Well known are the bellicose demonstrations of this energy. Consider, though, that just as the students of Waddles, Hill, and Peel maximize this energy for wealth and power, so do a great many of us, whose actions are not so demonstrative, use the same power to penetrate the walls, the lies, and the veils in our seeking. This seeking resonates and calls for answers, a call that you and Darren obviously share as well, and further, are kind enough to package and distribute for our consideration. This, I think, is why so many of we, your fans, are American. I appreciate what you do, and thought I would share the roadmap of the mind trip that your musings inspired me to take. Also, here's some money. (laughs) I like money. Perhaps you do as well. (laughs) Respect. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Mel. I, oh, Mel. Yeah. Girl. No, I don't think so. Shouldn't
1: assume gender.
2: No, I know, but it, yeah, Mel. It's Mel.
1: <laughs> it's Mel. Thanks, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I still think it's a cheap tech.
2: Yeah. No, I, I think it's. I think he's got a point.
1: Yeah, there could be. Could be an. It uh, could also yeah. be an amalgamation of things. Yeah. Definitely. There's also like the local thing, I think, is a Google thing.
2: Oh, that could happen too. Yeah. But that
1: doesn't explain US.
2: Yeah. Well, no, it might be local, then, then North America. Like it might be continent local as well, right? Yeah, but like,
1: Canada's like fourth. Yeah. You'd think mm-hmm. Canada would be like at least two. There's almost as many people in Canada as there is in the UK, you no? Know? In Australia, what's the population of Australia? My guess is uh, hey, less Siri, what's like... the population of Australia? The
0: population of Australia is about
2: twenty-one million. Oh, I said twenty million. Yeah. So
1: there's more I of us million, there, and yeah. they—I st- think they still—they beat us or so like tied with Canada. Hmm. Hey Siri, what's the population of UK? Oh, you're so stupid. Hey Siri, what's the population of UK?
0: population
1: of the United Kingdom is about 65 million that like
2: two <laughs> Canada
1: ah <laughs> huh. well that explains why they have more so Canada might be number two if it wasn't for population
2: we didn't say we were tougher in the 80s did we I don't think I used the word tougher well you're from the 70s no I'm from the 80s. A- no I'm all. not really I'm an 80s kid you're a 70s kid not really I mean I don't consider when we were you born 70 then you're a 70s kid. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what I mean. I grew up in the eighties, kind of right. Well, yeah. If he From was, if he's old
1: enough to be our dad, then I would say yes. He's tougher than we are. He, he's. No, yeah. That's
2: not what his point was. His point was that we were trying to say that we were tougher than the, the kids nowadays. We are. We're and both right. so, Oh, you think so? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't think we mentioned tougher though. I thought we no, just I said think we had. we like, talking
1: about how we used to go run around and play games and do things, and kids nowadays don't.
2: Yeah. That's all I thought we were trying to get at.
1: Probably, but he was probably tougher. He probably played with rocks and shit and like <laughs> walked school uphill, both ways uphill. Well, yeah.
2: My dad used to the say he'd have to go visit. through, he'd have to go through areas of.
1: Danny was telling me the other Montreal. day about when he went to school and every morning his, his mom used to have to give him his fucking kettle of coals. So he'd have his little fucking bucket of coals that he'd have to take to school with him so he could put it under his chair of his desk to, to stay warm all day. To stay warm? Yeah. And he's only, like, what, 75?
2: 74, yeah. Yeah, my dad, when he was walking through neighborhoods, like, they had to run through certain neighborhoods so they didn't get beat up. And this is in Montreal, like, in the 50s, probably. Nice. You know, close to Montreal, like, the South Shore or whatever, right? But, I mean, there was so many different types of people. They would have little gangs and stuff, and you'd have to, like, be careful walking through the, you know, yeah. whatever So I'm not saying I'm
1: tougher than the guy that's old enough to be our dad's probably seen some shit yeah but i'm tougher than the kids today we're both right yeah he's probably not listening anymore.
2: fair enough that's okay that's okay what else you got i got the i got a great ufo quote i Are we think we still doing that yeah of course
0: yeah <laughs>
1: If you had told me the profound UFO quote was going to make it 150 episodes,
2: I would have said you're crazy. Didn't we do more than that? 150? It's been going longer than that. Since episode 70? No, way before that, I think. Really? No, I don't know. Who knows? So this is, uh, this is from the CIA website. CIA itself, from the reading room.
1: It'll be part of Felix's trivia.
2: And this is a memorandum for record from January 6, 1953. And the subject is a telephone conversation with John A. Wheeler. Dr. John A. Wheeler. So at 1.30 today, I called Dr. Wheeler in Princeton, in Princeton New Jersey, to thank him for his interest in possible affiliation as a consultant in the CIA attack on the flying saucer problem. I told him... We regretted that the urgency of this current work for Matterhorn, AEC Matterhorn, I don't know what that is, prevented association at this time. Dr. Wheeler Wheeler stated that he might not be able to actively assist after March 1953 because his work on particle research. However, he would be pleased at any time to discuss the matter briefly. He mentioned two foreign Nationals who are currently outstanding in related fields. One was Dr. Chapman, a British subject, who is an authority on aurorae and its associated mysterious problems of ion path and magnetic focusing. Dr. O'Day, director of research at Cambridge, Massachusetts, USAF Research Center, might be able to suggest U.S. subjects in this field. It appears that the Air Force has been studying upper atmospheric phenomenon there with considerable vigor. Dr. Chapman's believed to be currently at Cambridge University in England. And number three, another suggestion was Dr. Hans Alvin, an original thinker and outstanding researcher. He has written Cosmological Electrodynamics in Oxford, Unity, uh, Oxford University Press. Dr. Wheeler thought some mention. No. Dr. Wheeler thought some method of using one or both of these men might be devised through an out-out, assuming the problem continued for an appreciable length of time and scientific attack was warranted.
1: Is that the end? That's the end. That was incredible timing.
2: That was good timing.
1: Yeah, That's the end of the jingle.
2: Yeah. So they're preparing for the scientific attack on UFOs. CIA back in 1953. That's like the year after the Robertson panel. Hmm. Hmm. There you have it. Imagine what they're doing now with all their media contacts. This is what they're doing like how many years ago Is that? 70 years ago? (laughs) I'm
1: sure they've calmed it down a bit. Yeah, right? (laughs) Uh, Of course, guys, check out gunamerica.ca slash support. Uh, Help keep us having these nice long uninterrupted chats. we don't have to do any commercials. We don't have to do any ads. We don't have to do any paywalls so that people can keep finding the back catalog, enjoying the back catalog yeah. for free. And, of course, we don't ever want to change any of that. Uh, so support our value for value model. If you feel like you are finding some value from the podcast, check out gramerica.ca support and sign up for a monthly there if you can. Uh, we got options there as little as $1 a month, uh, all the way up to $30 a month. Of course, uh, you can do one-time donations. You can get uh, swag from grandamerica.ca slash swag. There's a bunch of different stuff there on the Redbubble account that kicks a couple of bucks each sale our way. Uh, And then, of course, we can't do financial. We understand. You can spam grams, synchros, and different uh, stuff like that, trip reports. You can review the show wherever you can. Try and combat the one-star reviews. Uh, I remember the show is just getting worse. (laughs) You can tell your friends about the show. That's a big one. We have no marketing and no budget. So if you can uh, tell your friends about the show, wherever that may be, whether it's uh, in person or signing up for the newsletter or Twitter or Facebook or wherever you hang out. Of course, if you're looking for a place to hang out, check out grammarica.ca slash hangout. Uh, that's our perpetual chat room there. Uh, Graham and I aren't in there perpetually, but uh, if we pop in and out. We pop in and out, and there's a few people uh, in there all the time. There's a few people in there chatting right now. Uh, so it's kind of surpassed my expectations, and it's definitely a safe place to play. About yeah. 150 Gram Americans in there and chatting or
2: Yeah. And the Red Pill Expo is coming up in Bozeman, Montana in June, June 23rd, 24th. I'm going to try and go, I think. Yeah, it's it's probably, what, an eight-hour drive or something like that? And I've never driven down to Montana, so
1: hey, I, Siri, I'd like to do how that. How far of a drive is it to Bozeman, Montana? It looks like Bozeman, Montana,
2: is about 794 kilometers away by car. Oh, yeah, that's nothing. let's fuck all. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'll probably try and go. I mean, there's a lot of great guests, so check out the website by by yeah. the time this comes out, I should have a link in the show notes with a with a code word that'll help us at the show here. Like uh, we're sort of this comes out tomorrow. We're sort of affiliating. um, You know, we're we're trying to support this thing, not support it, but uh, it's not it's no, I'm affiliate. Let's support it, yeah. than affiliate. We're not, yeah, affiliated, we're not affiliated with affiliated. anything. Yeah. But I do, I We're will promoting have i I'll have a, a coupon code, but I, but I don't know if they're going to save any money or if it just comes, if I can get money off my ticket. Either, either one is. Support. I can't remember. I think it's just like, yeah. I'll get like money off Not
1: our tickets. Not affiliated. Yeah. Not affiliated. Okay. We, we affiliated ourselves. We're unaffiliated. With the, we affiliated ourselves with the conference once before. <laughs> it didn't go well. up. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, guys, check out slash support if you can, when you can. Uh, I think that's about it. We're almost at an hour of an intro here. I'm sure most of you have skipped ahead to the interview by now. Those of you, <laughs> la, 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 la. for those of you that haven't, enjoy the chat with the one and only,
0: the Edward Griffin. <laughs>
2: special night tonight, we've got Edward Griffin on the show. He's the author of probably the the best conspiracy book ever, The Creature from Jekyll Island. That's a second look at the Federal Reserve, and he's also written uh, World Without Cancer, the story of vitamin B-17. He's the founder of Freedom Force International and chairman of the upcoming expo, the Red Pill Expo in Bozeman, Montana, coming up at the end of June. So welcome to the show, Edward. It's great to chat with you about all this.
0: Well, thanks for inviting me.
2: Yeah, well, I guess we we should get into your expo coming up here. We we might uh, some of us might make it down to see it. We're hoping to.
0: But, oh, well, uh, I, I sure hope you will. It's a it's the most exciting thing uh, we have going here at the moment. It's the biggest event that we've ever tackled. When I say we, I'm talking about our organization called Freedom Force International. Um, that's an organization I created back in I guess it was 2002. And, uh, you know, we were kidding earlier about taking over the world. Well, <laughs> uh, we're fighting We're fighting against uh, forces that have taken over the world. And um, I, the forces I'm talking about, of course, are uh, generally, uh, they, it's hard to identify them if you use all the old words like, you know, socialists, communists, Nazis, fascists, uh, you New know, world order. All of the liberals, New World Order people, um, like, uh, progressives, all these names float around. And actually, uh, We've come to the conclusion long ago that all of those words are garbage, because they have uh, they have heavy meanings to some people that and they don't mean the same thing to everybody, and uh, they're almost impossible to define. But when you look at it uh, at underneath the philosophy of all of those, there is a commonality to them, and there's a word for that, and that word is collectivism. And we find that, you know, these words that we use really uh, miss the point because we're in a world battle between only two primary ideas, at least in the Western world. Uh, And that is the conflict between something called collectivism on the one hand and individualism on the other hand. And that's it. All of these things boil down to that. So one of the things that we resolved to do when uh, Freedom Force International was created is to change the vocabulary so uh, we can talk about uh, things without any confusion as to what we mean. And the amazing thing is that I've discovered over the years that when people, you know, let's say that we hear a typical uh, a debate going on between a person who might think of themselves as conservative, there's another one of those words, mm-hmm. um, and versus somebody who would say, well, I'm a liberal, there's another one of those words. Um, and they're arguing back and forth, and back and forth, and they say, wait a minute, let's define terms. And once you get through defining terms, it's amazing to me how often those people find out that they're in total agreement. Yeah. And so <laughs> – uh, but it's because when somebody uses a word, they think, oh, that means evil. You know, like if you if you use the word capitalism, isn't that one of those words, <laughs> um, it conjures up in the minds of some people – Uh, The idea of free enterprise competition, fairness, honesty, you know, uh, the advancement of society, a high standard of living, freedom and all those things. But in other people's minds, they think of it as selfish and cruel and um, uh, being insensitive to the needs of uh, the poor and all that kind of thing. But once you so we can't use words that have those different uh, definitions in the minds of people, we have to get rid of the garbage and start talking about principles so I got a little sidetracked there because that, that really is one of the deeper motives of this Red Pill Expo is to bring people together with all kinds of uh, ideas uh, and red pills, we like to call them. And they've, they've taken the red pill on this, that, or the other thing. They found out that the illusion they once had about, uh, well, let's just pick one, uh, let's say about healthcare. care. The illusion they had that they thought that the, the healthcare system was designed to cure diseases, <laughs> and that you know it would, you know, and then when they finally find out that not really, when you look at who's driving the healthcare system is the pharmaceutical industry, and there's no money in curing diseases, but there's lots of money in controlling diseases. You never you never want to get rid of a disease because then people stop buying the medications. So what you want are medications that don't cure the disease but allow people to live with the disease and that they have to be on the medications, you know, every day for the rest of their lives, that's a nice uh, trip to the bank. And so when you find out that the illusion of all of these, these selfless people trying to cure diseases and improve health really is, is an illusion, and you take the red pill and you find out that, oh my gosh, it's not that at all. Um, There are these red pills everywhere you look in our lives, and uh, so the Red Pill Expo, uh, which is coming off in June, June 23rd and 24th in Bozeman, Montana, of all places, and we'll talk about that later, it's a beautiful spot, but anyway, that whole purpose of that red pill is to bring together people who have all taken a red pill in one area or another, and they want to share it with others. They want to tell people what they discovered, what the illusion is that they finally broke through. And, uh, and our goal is to, is to allow them to communicate with each other, to discover uh, what each group has to say. That doesn't mean we have to buy into everything we hear. That's not the whole idea. But we have to hear about these things so we can evaluate them. One of the, um, one of the illusions of our time is that the media is fair and unbiased, and they really have an interest in telling us the truth. Now, that is an illusion of immense proportions when you understand finally you take the red pill and you find out that the whole uh, mainstream media is uh, wrapped up in, uh, I think it's four or five huge super corporations now, they own it all, and even go further and you find out that on the boards of directors of those corporations and the owners and the management level is an even smaller group of people who all have exactly the same viewpoint, the ideological viewpoint, they are all collectivists, and they all want a global system based on the model of collectivism. And then you find out, oh my gosh, the whole mainstream media in most of the countries of the world are, are being used to promote that agenda, and it's not a fair, unbiased source of information at all. Well, then, you know, as I say, you go from one major area of life to the other and you realize that we live in an age of illusion. So we want all of these people that have taken different red pills to come together, to meet each other and to share their ideas, to evaluate them, accept them or reject them as they wish. But to realize that the common thread behind all of the problems that we face, or at least most of the problems we face in our world, is the fact that we are being forced by law to act as though the illusion is real. The illusion is being forced on us. And, uh, for example, I'm going to give you some examples. The the latest trend right now is to um, force every child and eventually every human, every adult person to take a vaccine for this, that, and the other thing. Well, the, the illusion is that these vaccines are good for us that they save lives, that they cure diseases. The reality is just the opposite. And those of us who have seen through the illusion and recognize that the vaccine industry is uh, not curing diseases at all, but literally is creating diseases, and we're prepared to demonstrate that fact. And we're not worried about, you know, people will say, ah, you're a bunch of quacks, you don't know what you're talking about. We can prove that point. But most people don't know that. They really honestly believe that uh, vaccines are good for them. And so uh, and those of us who want to opt out of the system, we have so far been able to say, well, okay, you can do whatever you want to. We're telling you we think it's not a good idea, but if you think it is, Fine, go ahead and take your vaccine, but be careful when you give them to your kids. I know you think they're good for your kids, but here's some information you should know. Well, all of that is going by the wayside now, that freedom of choice, because now the laws are being written, which are forcing people against their will to vaccinate their children or to take a vaccine for themselves. So you take that little model there of using the law to force people to act as though the illusion were real And that applies to every one of the major illusions in our life. So eventually when we come to the question of what are we going to do about this? Well, the answer is that we have to change the laws. We have to restore the concept of freedom of choice into our society. We have to get rid of that big brother complex, which is the it's the it's the emblem of collectivism. The idea, the main idea under collectivism is that the people are too dumb to know what they should be doing. And it takes an elite group to, to understand these things and to pass laws to force people to do what they should do because they're too damn dumb to know what they should do. So we, the super wise and the honest and objective ones, will take care of them. Whether they want it or not, that's the flag of collectivism, and you see it everywhere. So, back to Expo. That's uh, it's kind of going to be a, a major event, a major event. Not kind of, it is a major event already. Uh, you can see. Some, I'll mention some of the speakers here in a moment. But the whole idea is to realize that in all of these areas where the red pill has been taken, the only way to escape the consequences of the illusion is to not be required by the state to participate in the illusion. So uh, that's kind of an overview. I don't know if it gives anybody a real idea of why we're doing this, but just to give you an idea of who some of our speakers are going to be. Of course, I'm going to be there. I'll be talking about this at great length. But uh, everybody knows Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, He's the author of that uh, humongous selling book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I cannot tell you how many millions of copies that has sold. It's at the very top of the world list of best-selling books. Robert Kiyosaki will be there talking about the illusion of money and uh, the illusion of investment, the illusion of, of uh, you know, owning property and that kind of thing. Of course, Mike Adams, everybody knows who he is. He he's goes with the, uh, the name of the uh, health ranger. He's going to be talking about some of the illusions in healthcare. Uh, Lord Monckton from the UK is going to be there. And uh, he'll be talking about the illusion of um, global warming probably I think that's what he's very that 's one of his really um, most important topics. Uh, we had him at a conference here uh, last year, and he just blew the audience away with his information on the illusion of man made global warming um, let's see we 've got ty bollinger he'll be there he's well known he's he put on a, a world class series on uh, exposing the fraud behind cancer therapy. And then re- more recently, he's done a great similar job on exposing the illusion of vaccines, mm. supposedly as a means of curing diseases. I just mm-hmm. watched all well, of those. Uh, yeah. You watched yeah. all of those, yeah. yeah. So you see, we, we've got the top-notch people here. And um, I, I won't go through the list because anybody that wants to see the list can go online. Uh, and I urge you to do that. It's uh, redpillexpo.net that's redpillexpo.net and you can see the webpage there with all of these speakers and uh, their excellent credentials and there you go yeah
2: that's i'll it. put i'll put a link to that in the show notes as well i think .org gets you there as well um yes
0: yeah, yeah. they both get you there yeah
2: and mm-hmm. uh, yeah it looks it looks fascinating there's a ton of uh, different different topics and so these are going to be speakers and you'll have a bunch of people uh, attending as well so it'll be kind of a social event and and you can
1: that's quite the lineup, Mike. I'm going to be out of town, but I think we'll send Graham.
2: Yeah, I might, I might try to make it down, yeah. Because I've been trying to get yeah, in touch well, with I,
0: Ty. Yeah, well, I'd advise you to, to move pretty quickly on it because um, any day now the airfares are going to start to go up. Uh, this is the perfect time to get uh, an, air, uh, an airplane ticket. The prices are never lower than right now, but I think in a few days they're going to start inching back up. So the longer you put off, the more you're going to pay for airfare. And uh, I understand the hotels in Bozeman are uh, getting filled up. people are coming in from all around the world for this. And uh, so you don't want to you don't want to get some motel that's out at the edge of town.
1: We actually just got off the line with Joel Salatin, who I believe yes, is uh-huh. coming in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Joel is going to be there, and, and of course he's a world famous speaker and he's got a one heck of a story to tell He's he's a rancher and a philosopher and a humorist. He's got it all wrapped up into one package.
2: So, so I'm assuming just, you know, this is great timing for this conference, this is the inaugural conference, right? Yes. This is
1: our first one.
2: Yeah. Especially.
1: He's going to be in Montana.
0: Yes. Montana, Bozeman, Montana. So why Bozeman? Well, there are a couple of reasons. Um, Let's start off with the most obvious one, and that is that the facilities there are less expensive than in uh, the usual places like Las Vegas and Houston and you know Los Angeles, New York and so forth and But the main reason to us was that we wanted something different. <laughs> I'm tired of going to conferences in Las Vegas. you know it's such a a plastic town, and I know there are a lot of things to do there other than attend the conference. But I think that's, a, that's probably a value that people that go to conferences because it's part of their business and they just sort of go because it's well it's expected, but they want to have a good time too. So then they go to Las Vegas because the theory is, maybe that's one of the illusions, but the theory <laughs> is that you can, have, you can have a good time in Las Vegas. I never did it's, uh, with all that tinsel going on. And my good time in Las Vegas has always been a result of being with the people I meet there, but not the town itself. So anyway, we wanted to get out of the big cities and so forth. And then we got to thinking about it, that Montana is a place that most people really want to go to. It's sort of on their bucket list, you know, but they never had an excuse to do so. So um, we're finding out that a lot of people are bringing their families, they're bringing their RV. They're going to go and see some of the national parks around there. And that's their summer vacation. And it's a beautiful place to be. I might add at that time of the year, it, I think they've got a, their summertime um uh, dates are about three days long <laughs> in Montana, and it's driving <laughs> it distance for us too. It's yeah. driving distance. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've driven it a couple of times. I'm, in fact, I'm going to drive it again this time rather than fly because it's it's a beautiful drive, and I like to, I like to see the wide open spaces. Uh, if you live in the big city, as most of us do, it's very refreshing, at least to me. To get out where the where the sky is big and blue, and you can drive for hours and hours and hours. And just see prairie and mountains and a few little bergs as you go through. It's it's very um, refreshing for for me. What
2: about the timing of this this inaugural expo? I mean, especially now, it seems like it's really important. Especially now, because it, I feel like I feel like the uh, the the layers are getting peeled off, and people are seeing through the illusion more than ever before. You know, there's all this polarization going on, and I'm sure that you guys transcend the, uh, you know, the sort of the, the left and right political spectrum and all that. I mean, this is, this is beyond all that, I'm assuming.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You just touched on another. You just touched on one of the other big illusions that uh, we're living in a world of left versus right. When you, when you look at these extreme movements out there that they like to refer to as left versus right, you find out once you peel off the labels, they're the same underneath so what's all this business about? You've got to choose up sides. What, what do you want to do? Do you want to follow communism or do you want to follow Nazism? Some choice, huh? No, that's, that's one of the greatest illusions of our time. And I, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be covered very well by uh, a woman that you may have heard of. Her name is Cynthia McKinney. Now, Cynthia, Cynthia is an amazing woman. She uh, was in Congress uh, she got pretty well booted out of there after a while, because when she started to wake up and started opposing the powers that be, but uh, she started off her political career way on what we would normally call the left. Uh, she, uh, she endorsed many of the collectivist programs, you know, like most of us, when we start into thinking about these issues, we want to help people. We want to help the poor, the disadvantaged, the uneducated, the sick, and so forth and not too many questions are asked about how we do it we just want to help them so it's so tempting to say oh well let's use the state to help them not realizing that the state is a uh, often uh, an instrument that's seized by criminal elements and uh, what we think is going to turn out to be a beneficial action really turns out to be fraudulent and corrupt beyond belief anyway cynthia was in the middle of that and at one point she was even the presidential candidate for the Green Party. Now that's about uh, as far on the left as you can get. Well all that is behind her now. Cynthia is, uh, is a, uh, very uh, close, uh, close to us here in uh, Freedom Force International. She's talking now about collectivism versus individualism and I believe if I, uh, I have to confirm this but I'm pretty sure her uh, presentation at the expo will be the illusion of left versus right. So there you go. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how once people understand that collectivism versus individualism is, by definition, uh, the, the ideology that we have to uh, choose between one, of the, one or the other, that all these other words disappear. They're just garbage. They're dumped. And once you get down to definitions as to what they mean, well, then you find out that people that used to be uh, on opposite sides of an argument are on the same side. As I said before, and I'll just give you one example because you can talk about these things in general. It doesn't mean much, but one of the basic differences between collectivism and individualism is the idea that collectivists believe that the group is more important than the individual. That's why they call it the collectivism. They believe that the collective mm-hmm. is more important than the individual. And that the the individual must be sacrificed, if necessary, for the greater good of the greater number. I was taught that in school. And most people have been in one way or another. And it's sort of the accepted um, ethics, political ethic, of every society, every nation in the world today. It wasn't always that way. But in the last hundred years, approximately, gradually the educational systems have imbued that concept into students. We've all we've gone through the schools, we've grown up, and that's how we believe that you know the greater good of the greater number is the highest uh, political and moral ideal to be served uh, in society. Whereas the individualist says, no, 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 no. There is, first of all, not only is the individual the center of society but in fact there is no such thing as a group what is group what does that mean what what is a group can you see a group can you touch a group and the answer is no group is an abstraction in the mind it's a word it it doesn't it's nothing real it's 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 a mathematical concept it means it means more than one it means usually more than two, but it's certainly more than one. It means anything greater than the individual or one. And you you can look at a group, but you can't see it. All you can see are individuals. And you can't touch a group, you can touch individuals. That's all that's real. It's like the word forest. There's no such thing as a forest. It's an abstraction. It means many trees. You can't cut down a forest. You can't touch a forest, but you can cut down and touch trees, you see. So when you say that the group, which is an abstraction that doesn't really exist, is more important than the individual which is real and does exist, you've made a huge mistake because you've set in motion an ideological uh, fallacy that allows the demagogues and shrewd individuals to say, I speak for the group. My party represents the people. We are the majority. This is democracy, and and democracy, the majority rules. And we quickly get to the to the point where we have demagogues and and um, suede shoes uh, con artists moving into politics, convincing us that they really represent and care about the people, when in fact it's really themselves that's all they care about, and the people unknowingly say, oh, yeah, that sounds good. He's going to help the people. So we give them all the power to do whatever they want, and it's a winner-take-all type of thing. We won the election, so we get to do anything we want to to those people that didn't win the election. Winner-take-all. And that's where we go. Once you start down that slippery path and you assume that the proper role of the state is to represent the majority, and it's strictly a mathematical concept, well, now you're back to the very primitive a uh, system in which decisions like this used to be made on the battlefield. It was the, the uh, group that had the most soldiers or the most powerful weapons that determined all of these things. It was simply a contest of force, of violence. And then they got the ballot out and said, look, let's just count the soldiers. And the, and the army with the most soldiers wins. We don't have to fight the war. We'll just count the, count the soldiers or later we'll count the ballots. And, but it's based on the same concept that the majority has the strength, the power, the physical force to overpower the minority, and therefore let's just eliminate the wars, and we'll do the same thing. We'll, we'll conquer uh, with the superior force, and we'll do it through the ballot box. So anyway, I... this, yeah, this is just a start. That's one of the differences between collectivism and individualism. And I'll just wrap this part up by saying when you, when you think it through – It actually turns out that the greatest good of the greatest number is achievable, but it's achievable through individualism. Because once you protect the rights of the individual, that turns out to be the greater good for the greater number. And the best example I can think of for that is a lynch mob. Now just think about that. Here we have a group of people, and uh, they're taking a boat in a sense, and there's only one dissenting boat, and he's at the end of the rope. So, if you really believe in collectivism and you know that it 's the greater good of the greater number, then too bad about that guy at the end of the rope uh, he loses bingo. Well, you see, you have to consider that the majority, no matter how large the majority, should have limits placed upon it, and that 's what that 's what the republics are all about that 's what constitutions are about. the American Constitution, especially the Bill of Rights it's all about not the power of the government but it's about limiting the power of the government <laughs> the bill of rights says the, the bill of rights says thou shalt not do this thou shalt not uh, the government may not restrict the right of the people to peacefully assemble or to bear arms or whatever all those bill of rights are about it's not that you see they're talking about the group shall not do this the majority shall not do this. The government shall not do this. It's not that they could do it if they win the election. It's after they win the election they must not do these things. Well, that's the difference between individualism and collectivism, right there.
2: Well said. So, Edward, what about the timing of this expo? It's your first—the first inaugural Red Pill Expo. Have you been thinking about it for a while? Is it something that um, that sparked this 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 time right now? Is it the the time that it needs to happen. Like, can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Well, yeah, I'd like to be able to say in my infinite wisdom and those of our group, <laughs> we were able to say, this is the time, this is the most, you know, we've been waiting for this time to happen. Well, that's not true. The idea of the Red Pill Expo occurred to me uh, about um, about 18 months ago. And I thought, gee, this is this would be a, a nice uh, theme to use, you know. Okay. uh you know, uh, it, it, you know, people understand the red pill, or many of them at least, understand that. Uh, it comes from the sci-fi movie called The Matrix and all of that. And so I thought this would be kind of a a, a way to get to some very serious topics, but do it in, in a more entertaining fashion so it, we don't bore people to death while we, while we do it. And so that, that's a great idea. We said, yeah, the Red Pill Expo, let's do that. Well, we started, and we were going to do it last year, um, about the same time last year in June. And just as we got into it, we realized, my gosh, we were like little babes in the wood. We had no idea how, how much work was involved in planning mm-hmm. for uh, an event of this uh, this size. So we had to postpone the date, and we moved it back once. But now we've learned, or mostly, we're still learning, of course, as we go. But, no, I cannot say that it, it was a date that we picked because we thought it was significant in terms of what's going on in the land today. It just turned out that way. But I agree with you, it couldn't have been a better timing even if we knew what we were doing. Right. Excellent. So
2: out of all these topics you've covered, like you've you've written about, you know, the Jekyll Island, which has really brought to light the the creation of the federal reserve and all these other topics i mean there's the you know the military industrial complex and the, the big farm and the health problems you're talking about there's the the banking like is there is there something that you think is is the most critical that people should be aware about as far as I the think illusion like the biggest illusion
0: yeah i i think the biggest illusion that touches on all of these and is what i mentioned before is is the illusion of that the government is here to help us. Right. I think it's the, it's the illusion of collectivism. People believe, they honestly believe, as I once did, mm-hmm. as it was taught to me, that the collective was the perfect and uh, the best um, uh, cross section of the best solution to most of the problems in our society. We get the government involved. After all, these people, we elect them and they represent us, right? Wrong. Anyway, we thought it was right, and so we thought since that's the process, and that was the illusion that if we have a problem, well, we just write a letter to our congressman, and uh, and he'll get it done for us. He'll pass a law, and we'll force everybody to do what is right, and we'll force everybody to pay for it through taxes, and we're going to force them to do this, force them to do that. And that's the illusion, and I think that's that's the most important thing. Once once we understand that that process does not work, in fact that process produces just the opposite results of what we hope for it, then we have a chance at solving all of the rest of these uh, elements that we
1: face. Well, after that, it'll even go to the barrel of a gun, right? They'll take you, if you don't pay your taxes, and they'll come to your house with a gun and put you in a cage.
0: That's about the bottom line, yeah. And um, all political systems are based on that, although sometimes they sublimate it so deeply that you don't see it. You know, you, we've got the courts out there, and we've got the wood paneling on the walls of the courts, and the judge comes out in a black robe, and uh, it looks very dignified and very civilized, but they're always at the edge of the room. There's a guy with a pistol on his belt. <laughs> and um, so you understand that the, yeah, Mao Tung was right. The only thing I ever read that he wrote that I agreed with, and I hated it, but he said the political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. And unfortunately, that's true because that's the power that backs up all totalitarian states, even the ones that call themselves democracies. Uh, There's such a thing as the democratic dictatorship. And in fact, most countries are that form today. They don't call themselves that. Hmm. I mean, China calls itself the People's Republic, right? Well, no, it's the People's Democratic Dictatorship and so forth. And our country is not far behind, I'm sorry to say.
1: So, um, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but you've been at this probably longer than most of our listeners have been, been alive. Um, our, our, our listener base is probably pretty, young. I would say around 30 is our average, average age. Um, what was it like, like back then it must've been a lot harder to get into these things. Like nowadays we've got the internet and we've got all these different sort of revenues or not revenues, or avenues of, of information that we can turn to. But back then, like how do, how do you, I guess, get, get into this gig when, it, when it's not quite as easy as it is for, for us nowadays?
0: Well, you know, that's a good question, because I don't think of myself as being any different in any substantive way from most people. Uh, when I was young, uh, I just wanted to have a good time, uh, I wanted to, uh, eventually, I wanted to get married. I found the girl I was looking for, the best-looking girl on campus. I married her. thought, well, now it's time to get married, have children, went to work for a large corporation. I wanted to climb the corporate ladder, wanted to make some money, I wanted to have a better car, live in a big house, build a retirement fund, you know, and be big cheese and all that sort of thing. And I don't know what happened to me, but in early in that process, I I was exposed to some some literature. The first little piece I remember reading that probably was the the little crack in the egg that uh, gradually grew it was a little pamphlet published by an organization called FEE, F E E, the Foundation for Economic Education. It's still in existence, it's kind of a think tank organization, but it was dealing with uh, concepts of free enterprise and laissez-faire, and the advantages, the advantages of individualism over collectivism. Although they didn't use those words, they were just talking about the free market, and um, and the dangers of big government and so forth. Well, it was the first time I ever read anything like that. Here I went. I went through the school system. I went through four years of university and all that. And granted, I wasn't a very good student. I didn't, you know, I wasn't interested in in scholarship. I was just interested in having a good time and uh, getting out in the world and getting on with life. But anyway, uh, I never heard this information before until I read that little booklet. So that was the the first crack, and that led to uh, some more booklets. And then I picked up a book, and I became interested in the United Nations, which I thought was our last best hope for peace. That's the way it was described to me. You know, get all the nations together, and we'll... We'll get rid of our weapons of war and put an end to war and live together in peace and harmony and all that. thought, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. And uh, so I started to read about the United Nations and discovered that, oh, my gosh, the people at the United Nations were crooks. And they were just – they were talking about these wonderful things merely as bait to get people like me to sign on to it. But when you look at their personal lives and their political careers, they represented their experiences represented just the opposite of everything they were talking about. So I thought, wait a minute, this doesn't look good to me. I, I hate being taken as a sucker. So I guess that's how it all started, and I started to read more. And for the first time, I really started reading books that I didn't have to read. In school, I thought, <laughs> you know, books are a terrible waste of time. And If I didn't have to read this bloody thing, I wouldn't. Um, and uh, and I started reading books that I didn't have to read, and uh, I guess at that point I, something something happened, and I just found myself on a new a new tack. What were and a I couple started, of those
1: books, if you if you remember?
0: Well, the, the first ones were were tracts written on the United Nations, and then I, start, I I got hold of some old books that are having to do with uh, World War II. About the, the attack on Pearl Harbor, boy, you talk about an illusion and a reality there. Um, uh, admiral Kimmel's story—I remember that. it was one of the books. Admiral Kimmel was the admiral in charge of the Navy at um, Pearl Harbor, and um, they later tried to make him the scapegoat for what happened at Pearl Harbor. They, uh, you know, said you, you, uh, you allowed this to happen, and then the truth came out later. I said, but they—they they made sure that. Washington, D.C., made sure that Kimmel did not get the information he needed to to prepare for the attack. And meanwhile, back in Washington, they had already decoded the Japanese military code. They knew the Japanese were on the way. They knew where the ships were. They knew how many planes they had and everything. And they deliberately kept all that information away from the military commanders at Pearl Harbor so that they could not and would not prepare so they could be sitting ducks so that they would be, uh, you know, it'd be a terrible catastrophe. And then president Roosevelt could go on the radio and said, this is a day of infamy that shall not be forgotten. And therefore, you know, we will now get into world war too and fulfill our obligation and strike against this, this dastardly enemy and all of that sort of thing. Cause they were looking for an excuse to get into the war and so anyway, I, I got off on a track there, but that's just one of the many, many illusions that we live in today, Pearl Harbor being one. Um, so that was one, and there were all kinds of books like that. Once you start down that track, then you find out that, um, that they're all over the place. And I, I must tell you this, that about that stage, I also took an interest in some of the literature that was put out by uh, the collectivists. And I thought, who are these people that uh, are causing all this trouble? So I, I got hold of the works of Karl Marx, I read those. Uh, I read um, Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler I thought, well, these, these books are similar I thought, In fact, they both believe the same thing, you know And then I read the works of Stalin and Mao Tung And I suddenly began To get the picture that, hey These guys, even though they, they hate each other And they fight against each other In many cases, the only reason they're fighting Is not because they believe anything different Because they believe exactly the same The only reason they're fighting is because they want control and not the other guy. It was a question of dominance. Mm. And once, once I got that picture, well, then I guess I was, I was hopelessly ensnared uh, with this idea that I had to do something about this and tell people what I was discovering. So that was the end of my, my, uh, of my career in the corporate world. I quit my job and went out and started to write and give speeches and produce films and that kind of stuff.
1: And the rest is history. Yeah.
2: So you must have seen so many changes. Like now that 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 you know, talking about Pearl Harbor, it's probably the the least obvious of all the false flags that have now been proven to be tr- true. Right? You know, there's like nine eleven and yeah. the Bay of yeah. uh, Tonkin and the or the Bay of Pigs and Gulf of Tonkin and the yeah. Northwoods. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just so much. I mean, so much has changed now. It's, I feel like there's a you know a pretty big obvious glaring opening of, of people that are seeing through the illusion now.
0: Exactly. It's And uh, as yeah, you mentioned a moment ago, the presence of the Internet has made the exchange of this information so much easier than back in the day when I, I had to go to libraries and uh, send letters off with postage stamps on them um, to get books that were in somebody's collection and that kind of stuff. It's so much easier now. And, of course, that's the reason that the collectivists uh, are so concerned about the Internet. That's why they want to take it over and control it. And, of course, they're using the same old arguments that you would expect. They want us to think it's for our own good. So they want controls on the Internet in order to put an end to what they call fake news and pornography and terrorism and crime and drugs. You know? So it's all we 're supposed to think all of these controls they 're putting on the internet are for our own good, you know the greater good of the greater number we 're back to that again when in reality it 's just to uh, close off the information that they don 't want people to have.
2: Where do you see it going then It seems like it's a it 's a race to the top here there's a, the internet is a helpful tool for us for disseminating information and freedom and connecting with like-minded individuals and yet they're really close to shutting it down and realistically if they did have some sort of control they could they could you know through a kill switch or something they could um could mess things up as well do you think you
1: can't kill switch do you
2: think we're gonna well you can with an emp or something i mean there's are we're sort of vulnerable to electricity right so I mean, yeah, there,
0: yeah, there, there are many levels of threat there. I think the least likely is the fact that they would just shut it down completely, although that is sort of a last resort. Uh, we've seen some of the countries uh, over in the Middle East, and um, I guess in Asia too, where the, the, the people have been getting uh, very upset over their government, and there were uprisings and demonstrations, and they had to just pull the switch, put the whole Internet down so that people couldn't even talk about these uh, these issues. But that's a last resort. I think what they really want is to be able to control it. They don't want to close the whole thing down. They just want to close down people like you and me and uh, make sure that we do not have access to the Internet to put up information. They would probably classify that as fake news or hate speech or something like that uh, so that people would think, oh, well, I'm glad they closed those bad people down. Um, and but they want to use the internet because uh, it's becoming the primary source of information, and that and they need that. They need control of that in order to uh, to brainwash people and uh, engineer their opinions about things.
2: So, what do you think is happen- going to happen in the near future? Here, do we have a chance? Is there, what do you what do you predict is is going to happen?
0: I, I I don't make any predictions, but I I do know that what needs to be done in order for us to uh, to come out of this alive, so to speak, is that we have to get really busy and very active and uh, build uh, a national, if not an international, coalition of like-minded people who are going to do more than just talk about it. We're actually going to reach out and try to become influential in the political world in which they live, become influential in the literature world, influential in in organizations to which people belong. Uh, In other words, we have to sort of imitate um, the strategy that's been used against us. Um, We're being controlled by a really small percentage of the population, and they do it because they have influenced and taken over the the media centers and the schools and government agencies and that thing, all all of what we call the, the power centers of society, including labor unions. Everywhere you look, you know, these huge organizations that people belong to, they look to the heads of those organizations uh, for leadership and guidance and, you know, what to think and what to do. And that's where you find the collectivists, because they have not been wasting their time uh, training each other to become uh, real estate salesmen or architects uh, or engineers. They are training their people to go into politics and media and education where they can control the minds and the opinions of people. So we have to reverse that process. And and those of us who are aware of what is really going on, we've taken the red pill. Now we have to get off of our couches and into those power centers of society, just like uh, our opponents have done, and uh, take them back one by one, just the way we lost them. It can be done, but we better get busy.
1: Um. <laughs> the big one, I guess the vaccine thing seems to be pushing back a little bit. The pharmaceutical, like, I don't know. Sometimes I worry that I'm in a bit of a bubble because I'm like actively looking into things and on the fringes and, and doing these these sorts of interviews. But it seems like 9-11 could be like, does, does it, do you see any particular thing that could maybe at least start to be the hole in the dam?
0: I, that's a good question. It seems to me that uh with nine eleven are you talking specifically about that or just in general uh just in general well, in general, I think it depends on each person uh every one of us have a special interest uh, some people I know the the crack in the egg that we were talking about before was nine eleven They thought you know absurd to think that 9/11 was anything exact other than what it's, we were told it was. But once they took a look at, let's say, Building Seven, and they realized that my gosh, Building Seven went down and wasn't even hit by a plane, <laughs> and and the and the media is not even talking about it. How come? And once they start, and that's the little crack, and they start looking, and once that, and then then they get through the crack, and they realize that uh, the egg is rotten on the inside. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, then everything goes from there but for other people that won't do it they don't really they don't have a technical bent and they're not they don't feel that they can evaluate these things technically but maybe for them it's education maybe for somebody else it's the it's the wars the endless wars maybe for others it's the uh, uh who knows it could be the, the uh vaccine issue and for others it's what's happening to their purchasing power through inflation being deliberately created through the banking system, and so forth. So I think with each person, it's a different issue. And if we are wise, and we're trying to uh, trying to find other people to join with us in this crusade, we have to be sensitive to what their concerns and interests are, rather than just uh, trying to uh, you know grab them by the lapels and say, sit down and listen to me. Now while I tell you what what my pet peeve is. <laughs> I used I used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I broke up a lot of uh, cocktail parties that way, and I was never never invited back, of course, <laughs> but anyway, the point is that uh, we have to be sensitive to other people, and I don't think there's a one size fits all to answer your question
2: yeah, it gets a bit overwhelming because they keep we do the podcast and we we if we get too political, we lose you know some listeners from either side. It's pretty crazy, and you know when you talk about political action all that and now we're looking at the the news and half the stuff you see is, is just bullshit and lies and propaganda. And it, it gets to the point where I'm like thinking, I just want to detach from all of it, you know, and go off the grid or something. It's hard to know what to, you know, whether to just, uh, just to back off or, or, or fight, you know, because the truth is really elusive.
0: Well, yeah, we all have to go through that one. Uh, I did uh, early on. I thought at first, don't oh, heck with it. Nobody cares. Uh, this uh, this ship is going down they and and those people deserve it because uh they're not listening they don't really care and then i realized oh, wait a minute i'm on this ship too if their ship goes down blah, blub there i go also uh so that's when i decided no i i can't escape this uh if if the world continues to go in the direction that it is uh, there would be no place to hide for anybody uh who who doesn't approve, or pretend that they don't approve. And I'm not prepared to live under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every person has to make that choice, that decision. Um, I just think we have to stand and fight, and we have to do everything we can, because the further it goes, the less chance we have. So rather than think too long on that, I, I urge everybody to just make the decision that now is the time to push back and get informed and and uh, link up with others of like mind, become part of the Freedom Coalition, and let's really take the world back.
1: So, is this how you, you kind of see your new role in the in the movement as sort of organizing conferences and things like this, or do you do you are you working on any more books?
0: Yeah, I'm working on another book. I'm embarrassed to even say it because it's <laughs> been going on ever since nine eleven. Uh, I started to write it the day after nine eleven after the initial shock wore off. And I, I realized that, oh man, here was another illusion. Uh, and I, of course I didn't see all of it at that time, but I knew that, that there was an illusion there and I started to write the day after. And um, I've become so involved in other things I just haven't been able to finish the book. Although much of it, if anybody's interested, it can, you can find much of that book already published on uh, the Freedom Force website. Uh, International dot org. You'll find it in the. Uh, uh, easy enough to find. Just you, you see we'll my have stuff it in the everywhere. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, under the section, an idea whose time has come. That will probably be the title of the book if it ever gets finished. But much of uh, what I've written since nine eleven on this topic, you'll find already on that internet um but that wasn't the real question how do i see myself i see myself as just um i don't know i, I guess i guess i see myself as a candle flame um i don't uh, i don't think the world needs another organization of authoritarian individuals taking charge and saying i am the leader and let's all follow the collective model Heck, that's what we're that's what we're fighting against uh, so what I've created with Freedom Force International is a holographic organization where there is no real leader except, except in the sense of being an inspirational leader. That I would love to think that I could serve that function. But this, uh, Freedom Force is not an organization where we tell people what to do. But what we, do, what we try to do with the organization is to make it into a network. And you'll, you'll find all of that explained on the Freedom Force website also. But the network is the concept. That's what we want to build. And in a network, there is no there's no leader. Um, there are many leaders that step forward, and by example and by experience, they, they show the way, and then everyone else steps up and picks and chooses what they want. We only require one thing of our members, and that is that they uh, endorse the principles of the creed of freedom. And that's it. Once that is in place, if you if you can accept the idea of individualism, it's pretty well described, and most people have no trouble with it. Uh, that One of the principles of individualism is that you don't force people to do anything uh, except one thing. The only justification for using force is negative. It's in defense. It's to defend against loss of life, liberty, and property, because that's what we have a right. We have a right to defend ourselves. Every one of us has an instinctive right to to use force to protect our lives, our liberty, and our property. So that we start with the individual again. There there it is. There's the basis of of a political system. What does the individual have a right to use force for? And you keep coming back to it. The only thing is to defend your life, liberty, and property. So if that's the case, when you form a state and you have elected representatives who want to represent you in society and you delegate your power to them, The only power you have to delegate is the defensive right to defend your life, liberty, and property, nothing more. So just because you've created a state and you've got a legislature doesn't mean now they can start saying, well, we're going to use force to determine what you learn in school, what you pay in wages, uh, what kind of insurance you have, uh, what you can say and cannot say in public, and all these things. As individuals, we do not have the right to force other people in those areas. So how in the heck can we delegate representatives who we elect to do those things? Where do they get that power? And the answer is they get it. They just invent it. It doesn't come from any place except that collective. And we're back to collectivism versus individualism again. So we've created the holographic model, and, the, and we don't believe in the use of force for anything except to defend life, liberty, and property. Everything else, everything else has to be done through persuasion and merit and voluntary choice. And that is the basis, we believe, for a truly free society.
1: That's kind of like the banking system. They can just make money out of nothing. Just poof.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I have no trouble with the banking system that wants to create money out of nothing as long as they don't have the power of government forcing you to accept that stuff. And so they can do interest. it all day long. Yeah, you see, it's harmless until you get the government involved and pass and, and pass a legal tender law. Now, once it's in law, and they say, "Well, you citizen, you have to accept this worthless money, or we put you in prison." Now that's where the that's where the problem begins. Or always it begins at the use of of the law to force us to pretend like the reality is like the illusion is real.
1: That sums it up nicely. Well, I suppose we shouldn't take too much more of your time. We should get let you get back to your uh, planning, and maybe after the conference we can have you on again and we can kind of do a, a post-game show with you.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Gentlemen, thanks a lot for letting me talk about these things, and I just hope that uh, many of your listeners will be able to attend the Red Pill Expo. And uh, if you can't, you might want to come online and, uh, and uh, sign up for my newsletter, uh, it's free. It's called News, And um, so anybody can just go to it, and up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a place to sign up. And once you uh, do that, you'll be getting all of our announcements and bulletins. Uh, one of the things that uh, we'll be talking about is after the event, it's quite likely there will be a broadcast of everything that happens there. And um, so be on our list and get the news and uh, – Okay, I gotta stop here. My wife is handing me a note. <laughs> she says get she says, get a copy. I don't know what copy she's talking about. What a copy is of the audio? Yeah. Oh a
1: copy, yeah.
0: oh a, co- oh, a yeah. copy of this of this presentation. Yeah. Well she says brilliant, but she has to say that because she's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she's requesting a copy of this interview. No problem. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I guess I'm gonna have to do something nice for her now. Okay, well, we'll uh, get gentlemen, to that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank Thanks you gentlemen. for having okay. me. And I'll, I'll see. I'll see you all in Bozeman.
2: Okay. Okay. Take care.
0: Right. Bye.
1: Bye. 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 That was a chat with G. Edward Griffin. It's about time. What do you think, buddy? You're all nervous. To... Your voice is all crackling. I
2: wanted to have him on for a while. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There you go. Can you even hear me? Yeah. I, you we sure? can hear yeah. you. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. I thought something sounds different.
1: Well, you're yeah, you're halfway out the door. That <laughs> <laughs> that's sounds different. <laughs> now he's very articulate about all that. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, for sure. So, are you going to go down to the thing?
2: I might. Yeah, yeah I So, cool. I
1: like to drive. So then you could get Thai. Fuck, you, you could probably book a lot of stuff. But I'll, I
2: might be by myself representing Grand America. Though, like I might have a couple oh, of friends to go. And yeah, Michael, your. Michael still might come to you. What day is it? Twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Oh, yeah, I get back. The like, problem is you're on holidays, so yeah. Oh, What, 23rd, 24th? Yeah, 23rd, yeah, I 24th. I don't get back till the 24th. So all those, all that stuff is linked in the show notes, and yeah, I like, I like what he has to say about that. Yeah, that's a good one. I like how he's got to be careful about the words, right? Like, I think he's trying to stay away from like globalist versus nationalist, right? His collectivism versus individualism. Stay away from a bunch of words.
1: That yeah, gets you in a bunch of trouble. Yeah, Just like Tim Allen.
2: I was going to ask him about how the uh, global, inconvenient, global warming lie went, because he had a conference about that in December.
1: That's a tough one, too. We just lost a listener over that this weekend. Yeah.
2: Very angry.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, big thanks to uh, Mr. Griffin for coming on the show. Hopefully, we can get him on for a little longer when he's not so busy. Um, Of course, check out gramerica.ca slash support, guys. It's the only way we can keep having these sort of chats without uh, any advertisers shutting us down or paywalls limiting our reach. So, yeah, thanks for those of you who support us. And if you can, sign up for a monthly. If you can't uh, do that, that's fine too. There's a bunch of different ways in the show notes you can help out the show and support the value for value model. Uh, Simple as sharing the show, reviewing the show, telling people about the show, sharing your synchros, your stories. What else? Spam and grab?
2: Yeah, leave a voicemail, join the chat we got a perpetual chat oh, yeah. going on
1: Grammerica.ca slash hangout for the perpetual chat there's about 150 people in there it gets a little weird sometimes uh, check out slash news sign people up for the newsletter check out grandamerica.ca slash swag to buy some stuff there's like t-shirts and shit stickers whatever you want uh, what's the other one there's one more ta slash
2: support <laughs> I got the jingle in my head <laughs> bingo bingo
1: I can't think of it right now alright guys I think that's about it thanks for listening we will see you next week
0: I want to play you another one.